The stories we tell communicate who we are and what we value. Each episode, we consider a different story from our perspective as women. From murder ballads to fairy tales, we discuss the power these stories have over us all. This is our history, both real and imagined, told through the eyes of today. This is Femlore. Hey, welcome to Femlore. I'm Rachel Marr. I'm Mindy Scott. Um, so today, Mindy, you have a story for me, right? I do. Yeah. With Cinco de Mayo, I thought it'd be great to tell an Aztec folklore called The Myth of the Two Volcanoes. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah. Are there are there like mountainous vaginas involved? <laughs> no. What oh. was her name, the one we told before? Oh my or? gosh. I can't think of it now. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who's been, um, was listening when it was feminist folklore, um, you might remember the Hawaiian um, folklore where she would um, be able to basically boomerang her vagina, throw it in and come back to her. So that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, if I if I could do that, I'd just do that during my period. Let's be real. Oh yeah. <laughs> just like, but not have it come back, right? Just have send it, it away for like yeah. a week. <laughs> Can I just send this off for a little bit? <laughs> oh man. All right. Okay. Cinco de Mayo is a celebration to observe and commemorate the Mexican army's victory over the French empire at the Battle of Puebla on May 5th of 1862 um, under the leadership of General Zaragoza. And the victory of the smaller Mexican force against the larger French forces was a boost for the morale of the Mexican army. Um, a year after that first battle, a larger French force defeated the Mexican army at the Second Battle of Puebla, and Mexican City soon fell to the invaders. Um, but this celebration, which, you know, is kind of used as a rallying cry and to show the strength of the Mexican people, has really turned into something else in the United States. Um, but this date has become associated with the celebration of Mexican-American culture here in the U.S. So these celebrations actually started in California and um, have gained national popularity specifically in the 1980s thanks to different advertising campaigns. So it's really something that people saw as a way to um, make more money. And I know that that's something that I'm familiar with is seeing people you know, going out to have a margarita or, you know, and if if at the end of the day, we're celebrating Mexican culture, um, you know, I, I do think sometimes there's a very fine line between celebrating and appropriating. So we wanted to clear that up and really share the story of what, um, what and why May 5th has significance for Mexican culture, and specifically, um, to also clear things up because Cinco de Mayo is sometimes mistaken for Mexican Independence Day, um, which is the most important national holiday in Mexico, but that is actually celebrated on September 16th. So, just wanted to clear those up before we get into the story. And that specifically, um, never mind, I was going to go down a wormhole. Well, advertising strikes again. First, they create Santa Claus. Then they create Cinco de Cupid, Mayo. Valentine's Day. <laughs> Everything you love is just a machine trying to take your money. Yeah, and every story. And that's kind of why we're here, mm -hmm. you know, to talk about the way that... Uh, 
things are so often used by other people for someone to make a profit or for someone to have some sort of gain. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's women and minorities, minority women specifically. um, And we are going to look at this Aztec folklore today, the myth of two volcanoes. Yay. Ooh, I'm excited. I don't think I know this one. Yeah, I do because I read it, but I'm going to pretend like I don't. I'm excited. (laughs) Well, and first, before I dive into it, just to give some um, the location where we're talking about. So this legend comes from um, the Aztec culture, and we'll be talking about the Valley of Mexico, which is a highlands plateau in central Mexico um, that is roughly the same area of present day Mexico City. Before I get into the story, I just want to start by saying um, we are trying to celebrate and lift up this Aztec story. I myself, um, I might mispronounce a couple things. If I do, please let us know. Um, We really are trying to lift up the story and not, um, yeah. (laughs) Not ruin it. (laughs) Not ruin it. So (laughs) here we go. I will do, um, give it my best shot. The myth of the two volcanoes. In the Valley of Mexico, there stands two volcanoes that tower over the valley. From each summit, you can see the other, through rain or shine. They feel connected, and that's because they are, even back when they were just two people. The chief of the Aztecs had a beautiful daughter, Istasiwat, and like Helen of Troy, her beauty was talked about throughout and known her beauty was talked about throughout the known world. One day, while the young princess wandered the grounds, she met Popocatepe a young and handsome warrior. He instantly fell under her spell, and the two told her father of their plans to marry. Her father agreed to the marriage, for Popocatepe was one of the best warriors in the kingdom, and the marriage would protect his land long after he left this earth. The marriage would have to wait, however, because they were at war, and Popocatepe was needed to defeat their enemies. Popocatepe promised Istasiwat that he would return, The last day she saw him, he was marching out of the city with his men. She cried for a week, but even in her misery, she was filled with the hope that he would soon return to her. A few months later, another warrior who had always pined for the princess returned from the battle and continued to wage. He lied and told her that Popocatepe had been killed in the battle and that she would see him again in the afterlife. Grief-stricken, she would feel her heart shatter, and it did because that's what they say she died from, a broken heart. When the triumphant Popocatepe returned and heard that Istasiwa had died, he took the beautiful princess and moved ten hills and made a mountain for her to lie on for all of eternity. He laid beside her with a torch to watch over her. The gods saw the lovers and covered them with snow. In the Valley of Mexico, the two volcanoes are named Popocatepe, the Smoking Mountain, and Istasiwa, the sleeping woman. To this day, you can see the smoke rise from Popocatepe, his torch still lit for her as he watches over the sleeping woman, Istasiwat. Yay, I made it through telling <laughs> I thought you did a great job. I feel like your NPR voice is very, very spot on today. Um, okay, so wow, real quick, story. should I say, okay, 
Today, um, in association with this story, I wanted to make a donation to care.org. Um, I actually used to work for CARE. I love them very dearly, um, a great nonprofit, and our donation will go to supporting their work um, that empowers women, specifically um, to their work that empowers women in Latin America. Um, I had the chance to do some fundraising and even travel there while I was with CARE and really seeing... Um, you know, women struggle all over, but there's still a strong machismo culture. And um, oftentimes, men are really the, you know, dominant one in the household. And there's still a lot of issues with domestic violence and early child marriage. So um, the work that CARE does is going into the communities and um, educating them, educating the men and the women on why this is wrong. Um, it's just, it's a really important cause. And I hope that you'll, um, our listeners will maybe consider joining in and giving a donation to care.org to continue this great work, because it's much more than um, helping women and educating them, you really have to help um, make those changes in the communities. Because, you know, for example, something I learned um, when we were there is that if, you know, if my husband beats me, but I've seen my mom be beaten, my best friend, or even, you know, if I try to call the police, but a cop shows up and he beats his wife, he's just going to see it as an everyday occurrence, like it's not a big deal, something where someone needs help. So really that education and change in legislation um, and work that CARE is doing is really important. So, all right. So let's get to the story, Rachel. What Ooh, did you think? Let's do it. Um, wow. So very interesting. I think this this falls into a specific kind of folklore, which is that like, um, and it's escaping me right now, but it's the kind of folklore where, it you know, you put it on the land. So you kind of figure out like how the the world, you kind of create the world in your vision. Um, and I think this is a very, very cool example of that. Um, this idea of like, you know, a woman and a man who are in love end up together forever, right? Um, I think there's a lot of issues with that as well. Um, just in my own, my own brain, I think, um, you know, it's interesting that she dies of a broken heart. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of problems with that because uh, it kind of does feel sort of gendered. Um, you don't typically see men die of a broken heart. They mm -hmm. usually are the ones that are dying in battle and things like that. So I think that that kind of serves the story of a woman, um, like her whole life is a man. Um, and I think that's sort of, you know, not, not the best, but... Yeah, and really, you know, so much of the story, there's a huge emphasis um, on... Istasiwat's beauty mm -hmm. and that, you know, she is kind of just this thing, you know, that people are pining over and, you know, even the fact that um, it basically shares that her hand in marriage was asked of her father and he got to make the decision, which, you know, that's problematic <laughs> as well. And really, you know, when I think about this story, it does um, kind of make me think of a different version of Romeo and Juliet or mm -hmm. something, even though they weren't like star-crossed lovers in the sense that they weren't supposed to be together, but that like, you know, if I can't have you, then I'll just die, mm -hmm. which I don't know. I'd rather keep living, but you know, and it's so sad. I mean, she missed him by two days. God, two days though, when you're in love, you know, <laughs> that is a long time. It's funny because um, I was just listening to Criminal 
because I love that podcast. But there's this um, one, this the this guy that they're interviewing who like was incredible. He did a lot of work like helping people surrender safely. Um, anyway, he he says this one thing that's like any kind of living is better than any kind of dying. And I think like you know in our folklore we don't get that right. We don't we don't get that kind of like. Um, death is always better. And I, I think too, you know, we're kind of taking our modern context here. If you think about the kind of life that you were leading in that time, um, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, you know, it, it helped people to kind of deal with the hardness of life um, and the shortness of life and the, you know, just the, I, I can't imagine that it was easy anywhere, right? And during that time period, um, we're very lucky because, you know, we probably eat better than kings now right? You can get lobster today, you can get steak, you can get, you know, all these things. And I think that that is very interesting to think about um, as a way to kind of help, like death is something that you can't be afraid of, because it's so around you. And I think she um, is an embodiment of that of like, death is better than life in some ways, right? Um, And, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree. But I'm also looking at it from my 21st century lens, where we're not surrounded by that as much. So, I, I kind of think it's a way to help people deal with the harshness of what the, their reality, right? Um, and that's how she's dealing with it, you know? Oh, I completely agree. I, yeah, I think that's interesting because, yeah, you know, it's they always say hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's very easy for me sitting here in my cozy house where I don't have, you know, I don't have to go defend my land and, you know, rally up the troops and the warriors to do so. Um, that would make for a very awkward neighborhood meeting. <laughs> you just like show up and you're like, listen, guys, <laughs> I'm going to take my neighbor's land. I don't care what you say. Who's with me? Who's <laughs> with me? Andy, who's like two two pounds, would be like, me, mom. Me. Right. Yeah. My little <laughs> thinks he's ferocious dog. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think too, like that's, there's something too, just in that time period, like I, I don't think it's, it's privy to, or it's just in, you know, Mexico or that area. I think it was happening in England. It was happening in Spain and it, you know, all that's everywhere was kind of hard, was very hard to live. And I think that's um, you know, it's interesting. It's a yeah. way to kind of deal with that harshness. Yeah. I recently um, did a wedding where the mother of the bride was sharing with me that she was the first in three generations to be able to see her daughter married. Whoa. And it, so I think some, like there must have been some early illness and death and it. For some reason, hearing that it really it made me think about mortality and the fact that yeah, I guess so often we do take for granted, like sometimes you hear these stories and you think like, man, uh, a princess being married off at 14. And I am not in any way saying that I agree with that happening today. But when people used to only live to right. be like 30. Right. Yeah, that's middle age. Yeah, You're at middle age there. It's right. very interesting. And it's completely different from the way that like our sensibilities now. Um, and I'm not sure that it's taken in that context that, that that's necessarily the problem. I mean, I think there's a there's some like really beautiful parts of the story that mm-hmm. I really love, like the the idea that he's watching. I mean, it's also kind of creepy, but the idea that he's just sitting there watching over her grave. There's something kind of like um beautiful in that with the smoke coming from the mountains, but then like he's also watching over her grave. Like I don't it's kind of it feels a little like she can't do anything about it. Like she's literally she is an object in that sense, right? She is just like She's she can't move. She's not like she has no, you know, agency 
at all. Yeah, I I see it both ways too because I think the romantic in me, like I do see that that like okay, so he wants to spend eternity with her as well. And um, there was a part that I didn't share in this story, but in other readings, I was hearing how it's kind of said today that when um, when his volcano plumes, it's like it's his heart breaking and remembering her. Um, so I mean, this story is still passed down, and today when there's rumbles, that's you know people are still talking about this. So I think this is just one of those folklores that um, really has um, been ingrained in that that local culture. But um, yeah, to me, I guess I was thinking a little bit like, oh, that is nice. Like he wants to be with her. He's, you know, celebrating her, trying to give her a proper burial by creating a mountain to lift her up. I do think this is kind of one of the better stories that we have in the sense like, Mm -hmm. even though there are pieces of it, she's clearly an object. Like it does unfortunately just feel like I can follow it as like a story of the times. It's not something where he tricked her or manipulated her or came in while she was sleeping and basically raped her. Like he, you know, like he asked for her hand in Mm -hmm. marriage. He did what he was supposed to do because he loved her, but he quote unquote fell in love with her because he saw how beautiful she was. I mean, you know, this just goes to um, what we kind of know, like femlore 101 is that so often women are just seen as objects of their beauty. And I think um, when you look up this story, it's funny when I was Googling it, there was a one of the first things that came up was um, tattoos associated with this. So this is a story that a lot of people are even tattooing on their bodies. They're still telling um, today, you know, this the story of the princess and her strong warrior and a lot of the imagery. And maybe we can even put it up on our Instagram Mm -hmm. at femlore podcast. Um, But a lot of the imagery is him carrying her lifeless body. And so she's laying there very voluptuous in his arms. And he's a strong warrior, like, carrying her off. So it's just, it's kind of interesting imagery as well. Well, and if you take that idea of romance, like you're kind of uh, talking about, you know, that to me is the crux of the issue, right? Um, Romance, like, again, I've said this a million times, so it's probably really boring for our listeners to hear. But if Romeo and Juliet had made it, like, they probably wouldn't have lasted. Like he was just getting over Rosalind, right? Like you think about that. And part of the romance is that cutting off. And that to me feels kind of problematic because it it puts all your hopes on this idea of romance happening in this very short space and that's it, right? Um, marriage is a lot harder <laughs> than, than, I mean, yeah, sure, Romeo and Juliet died, but have they been married? Jesus, <laughs> right? I mean, it's this thing where you kind of, you, it's it's constantly um, respecting your partner, loving your partner, and it, it's constantly giving to your partner, they're giving to you, right? It's this constant sort of ebb and flow of a relationship. And that's not easy to talk about in folklore, right? That doesn't, you can't span, you know, you have especially in oral folklore, right? You had to memorize these. So you have like, I don't know, maybe five minutes of memorization that you need to have that you can communicate out. And, um, you know, there's something so wonderful about that um, sort of uh, a detailless kind of simple view of, of, um, of love. Um, There's something so like kind of, I don't want to say reassuring because it's sort of upsetting, but also there's something that's like, powerful in that in that simplicity um but then the reality like you know 
the reality is so different. And we're, we're kind of like put in this position as women to expect that reality. But Ariel and, and Eric never got married. Like we never saw their marriage, right? You know, uh, you look at Sleeping Beauty, we never saw them get married, her and Prince Philip. Like, you know, we don't know how he treated her. We don't know. That's the point, right? And I think this story kind of falls in that, that like simple sort of understanding of of um, love. And I think that's okay. It's very like attraction yeah. based and lustful, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay. Like, you know, it's sim- simple. Again, you have to memorize the story, you have to tell it out. And you're trying to tell women, you know, this is kind of how you're supposed to be, right? So you have to get that within, you know, five minutes, right? Um, but there's- right, but it's a powerful five minutes exactly. because it's saying, you know, you have to be beautiful and quiet and mm-hmm. wait around for mm-hmm. your Prince Charming or your warrior to come sweep you up and protect you and lead you through life. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I, in this one, yeah, there's not as many problematic things. But right. I think to your point, overall, this simplistic story of it really, it tells women that their place is to be you know, beautiful and to want to be swept off their feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, and then that, that is hard for the man too in that situation, right? Because then he has to continually do the sweeping. And right? I, I mean, like, I don't know, you know, I think. Well, does I, he have a Dyson? <laughs> he's not that fancy. Okay. He's got the old room. Maybe it's a push broom. So it goes one direction, which is a little easier. But I, I think, you know, that's that that's tough. That's tough on both people to keep up that kind of ideal. Um, and, and you know, I think a lot of the stories that we tell fall into that. Um, I'm interested to read the story about Romeo and Juliet's marriage. I'm interested to read the story about uh, Sleeping Beauty, like, after she, after she's been married for a couple years, you know. And, and I think that that is the story that I'm interested in. And it could be the space of life that I'm in, right? Because when I was younger, I loved those simplistic stories because that's so much easier to kind of understand. Um, but relationships are messy and and they're hard. And, you know, sometimes you're looking over the woman you love with a torch, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I think that, you know, that the, the simplicity is it serves both camps, I guess, right? It kind of helps to communicate out what women are expected to be and men. And then it also communicates out kind of uh, not the hardness of and reality of marriage or, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like it's probably similar to childbirth. And again, I haven't had a child of my own, but just hearing it's like, if people really knew, (laughs) would everybody be lining up to try to do it? I don't know. So you know, you tell these stories that it's a miracle that it's easy. And same thing with marriage. Um, But I think what's so interesting about these stories is that it does it kind of, it harms both the man and the woman, Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I, I feel like I grew up on fairy tales, I loved all those Disney stories. And I didn't know I mean, you know, I saw my parents' relationship, but I didn't really know what they were going through. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like your parents explain that stuff to you when you're young. And, um, you know, I so you look at these fairy tales as that example. And I think the baseline, what you can learn is that, like, you need to be respected. But sometimes then it's hard. And like you were saying, now at this different point in life, like when I look back, I don't always see that the women were respected. But like it just it really puts the emphasis on attraction to, Mm -hmm. you know, whoever your partner is going to be. And I think, you know, like anything else, you kind of have to learn from yourself. I look at the pitiful little relationships that I had along the way. And like what they taught me, though, um, 
you know, they really taught me that there's so much more that I needed. And then I was more prepared to actually find a partnership. But it is interesting because it's, I don't know, I I used to think I wanted a guy that could open doors for me, like someone who was going to do all those things. But I'm like, I can open my own damn door. Mm -hmm. I can take out the trash. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, let's let's do this together. So I'd I don't know. I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but it is. It's like these stories can be so beautiful, but they also can be really harmful. Yeah. Well, and think about that. You know, you said an interesting thing about, um, you know, the attraction piece that, you know, when you get older in society's mind, you get less attractive, right? That's just how it works. Um, You know, you you just aren't, especially as a woman, like forget about it. Right. Um, But I think that that if your value is your beauty and it fades, then what is your value, right? And I, I think that, you know, again, try Romeo and Juliet at age 45, right? Like they're going to be fighting. They're going to have two kids. They're going to try to, you know, they both go to work. It's really tough. You know, they, they try to make time for each other, but it's impossible because the babysitter cancels at the last minute. You know what I mean? Like that, I think um, obviously that's our reality. Their reality would have been a little different, but I think there's this... Um, expectation that when it comes to beauty and attraction, you're putting yourself into a problematic uh, partnership because of these things that you've been taught and not to look at that kind of like deeper, deeper level of a person, right? And uh, these stories certainly help with that. They certainly help make you feel like, well, yeah, I should be super attracted to the guy that I'm with. And, you know, I, I don't think that should be the basis. That's, that's, I mean, it's, it's very important to have, but that's not the basis. That can't be the basis. Right. And I think that's where I was trying to go, you know, because being younger and you think that that's the most important thing. And I mean, obviously, like, I'm attracted to my partner, my spouse, I'm attracted, but I also the more that I've spent time with him and gotten to know him, the more attractive he is to me right. as well, because mm-hmm. a person is so much more than just what they look like. But yeah, I don't know. It's funny, because I think I still I well, I shouldn't say I think I still I know I still have a place in my heart for these stories, because they're what I grew up with, you know, and, but I think if we do have children someday, I'm gonna work to find stories that tell other (laughs) portions too that aren't so focused, because I know my real like, learning of what relationships were, were from Disney. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's not reality. Mm -mm. It's also put forward by a man. So let's yeah. remember that. Right. <laughs> um, though the original stories, I think the Grimm brothers relied on women to tell. So, um, but it's interesting. And I think too, you know, they serve as a way to keep women in a, in a specific space um, and, and valued in a specific way. And, you know, that, that served, that does serve a purpose, but I think this is the time where we can kind of view it and say, uh, maybe that's a beautiful story maybe we don't, you know, take it too seriously, right? Because I still love folklore, like you're right. saying. I still love it. I think it's, it tells us so much about culture and, and our place in the world. And like, I mean, this is a great example of that, right? Your place in the natural world. And I think there's something so beautiful and wonderful about that. Um, this idea of like humanity kind of shaping their own landscape, which is what makes us human. Um, but we can kind of look at them, you know, with our glasses over our nose, like, Mm, beautiful story, but uh, <laughs> yeah, 
No, and I do love that. I love the connection in this one specifically between people and nature and being able to say, oh, well, that's here because of this, <laughs> this love, this thing created those mountains. Um, but another thing as you were talking that I wanted to um, bring up is kind of that, you know, I think you still see that. I think we still see it in culture that it's typically women wanting to be protected by men or that men's place was to protect women. And it's funny because, you know, I consider myself a really strong, able woman, but sometimes I don't want to be in the basement on my own. I'm like, Malcolm, I heard a weird noise. I want you to go check it out. (laughs) Or like, I don't, it's just, it's weird. And sometimes I'm like, these things come from the stories that like we've been told that men are supposed to do that work, that women are supposed to, you know, do certain things. And I just, sometimes I wonder like if it had been reversed, would we really see full societal reverse? Like how, how much do these impact our thinking? And when I just really start thinking about myself, I'm like, man, I know I can do that. I know nothing's down there, but sometimes I do want to be protected or, um, I don't know. But if he's scared, do you go check it out? Is he ever scared? <laughs> no. So he's usually, not, he's like, there's nothing down there. But one story I'll share, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing. <laughs> oh, my, Malcolm getting on blast. Okay. No, it's not even him on blast. I just, it, it was his way. I don't, it just really opened my eyes to all this. Okay, so there was this one time we used to live in this condo building in Chicago. And if any listeners are here in, in Chicago or live in high rise buildings, wherever you live, you might also have what we called condo spiders. I'm sure there's a more <laughs> appropriate name, but they're the they're kind of big and they like will sometimes live on the outside of the high rises and sometimes they'll get in, you know, if you have your window open. I don't like spiders, although why? Oftentimes they don't do anything to me. I am way larger than a spider, but I've been taught to be scared of spiders. I don't like little creepy crawlies. I'd rather see a snake or something that I could like know where it is and get away from. But little creepy crawlies have always, ugh, I just don't like them. So anyways, there was this time that there was a spider and we had had like quite a few and I was always making Malcolm kill them. But then he was like, well, what do you do when I'm not here? And I was like, well, I kill it, but you're here, so take care of it. And he's like, well, I don't want to always have to be the one taking care of the spider. Like, I know you're capable. You do it. And so we're standing here kind of going back and forth. And the spider, I'm like, but it's on the move. We've got to get, someone has to get the spider. And he's like, okay, you get it. And I did, but I really, like, it's so funny because I really appreciated him pointing that out because there have been times in our relationship, whether even when we were first dating, I remember I was like, well, I'll, I'll cook. You can take out the trash. <laughs> Did you like my like silly voice Ooh. that I changed there? But like, I, I feel like when we first started dating, I really was thinking about things in the stereotypical gender roles. But what I really found is, you know, there's so much more to having that balance and to, you know, using each other's skills or just sometimes you have to do stuff you don't want to do in a partnership, like kill the spider. Mm -hmm. And it was my turn in -hmm. that instance. But I just, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but it was a really kind of eye opening to me because I think, you know, that was probably eight or nine years ago, even thinking it's funny to think back that long that we've been together. But yeah, 
He doesn't always have to be the one to kill the spiders. <laughs> That's right. You are capable. You can open your door and you can kill your own spiders. Um, I'm going to take a rain check on that one, though, <laughs> just because I can't stand spiders. But uh, I, I don't I don't think Tom likes them either. <laughs> He's not a fan. However, he is a little bit more. Uh, so he was raised in New Mexico and they have tarantulas and stuff. So he's just like, oh, that's nothing. It's small. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're not afraid at all, that seems fine. <laughs> we can we can tap out. If there's something you're afraid of, I'll deal with it. That's fine. But if he's not home and you see a spider, what do you do? So I just keep track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like watching. Sometimes I name it. The last one that I found, his name was Alf. And he just like, he would, he would stand. And then, you know, then I get kind of like com committed. It's very weird because I'm like, now I don't want to kill it because it's killing some things. So then Tom has to come in with like a, with like a glass and get it out. And because we've, we've created a bond, Alf and I, like we, we know each other now. That's the Malcolm method too. He'll oh, okay. come in with like a glass oh, and a piece of paper All right. and then he'll like take them outside or whatever. I smash him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would do if I didn't create that connection. So, and, and you know. It, it it it's one of those things that I'm like, I just, I, you know, I just get so like, I just don't like it. It's like, um, my fear of cotton balls. Tell me more. <laughs> I had this, I'm laying it all out. Um, I have a huge fear of cotton balls. Like, uh, yeah, yesterday I did, um, I was getting something done on my nails, which like, bleh. but, um, they have to put cotton balls to like take off this specific kind of nail polish. And I almost threw up. I was like dying. I don't know why, but like the, the sound of it, it like, it like really hurts. So Tom has to open medicine for me sometimes. Cause you, you know how they sneak in the cotton balls at the top. Oh, Where do you think sick. this started? Where did it come from? So I actually think it's because when I was younger, I had a ton of dental work. Like I, from the age of like seven, I was getting cavities filled. I've gotten a couple teeth pulled. I've gotten like, I have like a ton of dental work and it's something about the cotton ball that just like makes me sick, like my stomach. Um, so spiders are like my cotton ball. Or cotton balls are like my spider. Yeah. It's very confusing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have a... a is it okay if I slightly call that your irrational fear? No, it's very rational. Have you seen cotton balls attack people? Okay, it's very So how scary. do you feel about that scene in Elf where he eats the cotton I can't balls? even talk about it. I can't watch that scene. And like, I try not to think about it. I just like replace it with a marshmallow. Like, oh, he's eating a marshmallow because I... Ugh, it makes me sick. It makes me very well, sick. Well, to make you feel a little better, my irrational fear is needles. And the um, other day I went to the doctor and... I thought I was just going for a consultation because I was looking for a new doctor. And um, she was like, oh, well, perfect. While you're here, we're just gonna, you know, do this, do that and some blood work. I literally as she's talking to me, my eyes started watering. And I was like, okay. She's like, she, she stopped, looked at me and she goes, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And I started crying. I just I have this irrational fear of I, I'm fine with shots. Well, I, I guess I wouldn't say fine. I'm okay with shots. But specifically when you try to take blood out of my body or if there is like an IV involved, oh, forget about it. I just... Well, that feels more rational than gotten balls because it's actually like sticking something in you. So... But I get it. We all have our things. And anyways, to bring it back to why we're here, <laughs> I think that's like those things, you know, I'm not sure what Popotepe's cotton ball was or what is irrational. We know fear. nothing. We, we know, know nothing. nothing but yeah. to your point, these stories had to be told quickly. You can't get down the wormhole of saying, well, you know, he didn't 
clean the water basin today. Yeah. She didn't, you know, he stopped doing the dishes, right? You know, what were those things that they were arguing about? Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful story for what it is. I really appreciate the, um, I don't know. I, I just appreciate this story and I appreciated um, doing a little additional research. Lauren did so much of the research, but I was really looking into um, why do we celebrate Cinco de Mayo? What, where did this come from? And I have to admit, I did not know the difference. Um, and so I think as people are out celebrating, let's remember that. And this is a, a celebration of, um, you know, Mexican American culture and, um, yeah, let's let's remember that. Don't appropriate it. Don't be one of those people. <laughs> but you can go out and celebrate it. You can make a donation to care.org. Um, you know, do a little more research for yourself. Like get involved and and know about what these things are and and why we're doing them. Don't just be a zombie participant <laughs> or a drunk one, right? Right. <laughs> Margaritas. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. You know, yeah. just someone like, Ugh, like following <laughs> along cuz everyone else is doing it. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thanks so much for this great story. And now you know my fear of cotton balls. So that's awkward. I'm going to come <laughs> back and the desk is going to be full of cotton balls just to mess with me. I see where this is going. Maybe we should make some like femlore um, cotton balls. Uh, all right. I'll talk to you later, Mindy. Check out the merch store. <laughs> I am not putting our logo on my cotton balls. Okay. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode, but you can always find us on Instagram at Femlore Podcast or visit us online at femlore.com. We love what we do, but we can't do it without you. Your listens, shares, and reviews keep us going, so please tell your friends about us. Femlore is produced by Mindy Scott, Rachel Marr, Aaron Crossland, and Lauren Crossland Marr. Audio engineering and music by Aaron Crossland, research and coordination by Lauren Crossland Marr, and as always, canine support provided by Andy and Cody. Ow!